today. We're going to take a reading lesson from the book of Genesis, chapter 3. And we're going to read the first eight verses of this story. And before we read the story, we might make, just make two preliminary comments today. Come to my mind as we were singing. Um, one of the tremendous things about the Bible is that uh, the stories and the, the truths that God reveals to us are so multifaceted. Um, I suppose I'll use the excuse of one of the reasons I'm long-winded is because there's so much in such a small part of things. And uh, I said this last night at Revival that sometimes I'll just see one layer of it and it's so beautiful by itself. And then you see a, another truth and then another truth and then another truth. And each one of them is just so rich and unfathomably deep. And then God occasionally gives you a glimpse of them when they align. And it's almost too much to, to contain. And I suppose many of my feeble efforts to bring before you these messages is when God has shown me just a partial alignment of truth, and it is just so powerful to me. And um, I appreciate, in all sincerity, your forbearance often with my attempt to try to do that. I know I'm long-winded, and um, I, I do. I appreciate your forbearance in that. I, I hope that God blesses you from at times, the alignment of those things. Um, the other thing I would like to say before we begin today is that um, the last two weeks I've been in revival and occasionally something strange will happen um, in the midst of revivals and, and I always kind of laugh to myself but feel perhaps inclined to share it this morning. Um, I don't know how every the ministers that do revivals, how they're prayer life is and their preparation life and those situations are. Um, for me, when we're in the midst of perhaps multiple weeks of preaching and, and teaching, um, I just take it day to day. You know, I just, Lord, what, what is the provision you would have me to bring today? And dwell on that and meditate on that and prepare for that and then try to lay it down after I'm done and move on to the next day. And occasionally there's a curious thing, at least to me, that happens, and that is the Lord will say, I want you to preach this then. And that's like three or four sermons away. And uh, I always kind of laugh to myself and say, well, why then? You know, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to preach on tonight, and I'm kind of panicking. Can I preach on that tonight? And uh, there are times at which I feel this very strong inclination, and the only conclusion that I can come to is that the Lord wants the group of people that are present then to hear that message. And um, that was the case with this message is all week. This thought has been coming into my heart. And there's been this faint voice saying, Sunday, Sunday. And, um, and so I have tried to wait until now. And I say that because perhaps as we're bringing the message today, God might apply it to your heart and say, this is for you, and you need to listen. And if that's the case, uh, there may be one person here that that's what it's about. And if that's the case, 
Um, I hope you'll be attentive to the word of the Lord. Um, I've preached to hundreds of people these last couple of weeks, but maybe God has designed this for you. And if that's the case, I, I beg you to listen and, and ask the Lord what he might apply to your heart in these scriptures. Tonight or today, this morning, we're going to just try to bring out one single truth out of this eternally deep scripture and story that we learn of. And so much of the Bible is based on what takes place in this chapter and the chapters preceding it. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, it says this. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the tree of the excuse me, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God know for excuse me, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And I'm going to stop our reading there. I apologize for so many difficulties, so much difficulty reading the scripture today. I want, to be, I want to stop there because there's one part of this story that was contained in our reading that I want to focus on, and that was focused on verse 8 of our reading. It says this, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And the title of our message this morning is, Hiding from the Lord. Hiding from the Lord. There's so much in this story that we learn about God, about man, about Satan. Um, Just so much here. And one of the things that we discover in this text that I think is indicative of human nature is the tendency... For mankind to hide. Hide from God. Hide from righteousness, from light. Men love darkness rather than light. To hide from things that, frankly, they just we shouldn't hide from. And Satan reveals in this account. His masterful ability to distort and subtly deceive, to take truth and bend it to where it warps reality. It creates emotion and feelings 
And it distorts who God is. As I was reading this text and considering this truth, I suppose one thing that jumped out to me more than anything is just the question, why was Adam and Eve hiding from God? Now, I know the obvious answer to that is that they were afraid of judgment. But in this text, I want us to consider what God does and what Adam and Eve do that warrant their hiding. And I want you to ask as we go through these thoughts in this text, are you hiding from God? Or, perhaps put a little more specifically, is there something in your life that you are hiding from God? Something that you don't want attention and consideration between you and God to be given to. Now what's noteworthy about this text is up into the point of verse 8, God has not changed at all. Really, everything that God has done and what we read to you and in the chapter before is God has only contributed things to his relationship with Adam and his relationship with Eve that would have enhanced their fellowship and only resulted in them being brought closer together. You see, it's in the heart of God to have a relationship with his people. God wants to know you and love you and enjoy you. And he wants you to know him and enjoy God. That's his desire is communion with him. And so God has in this story and in the chapter before it designed everything in this to enhance the relationship between God and man. He provided for Adam this beautiful and perfect creation. The likes of which have never been seen by anyone save Adam and Eve. He provided for Adam a duty and a job. Something to busy his mind and give him purpose. When God saw all of those things and saw that Adam was provided for those things and those things were perfect, furthermore, God saw that what he lacked was a companion. And so out of his providence, God did not just haphazardly give someone to pass the time, but rather even in the intricate design and the metaphor that it indicates, God took a rib from Adam, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh and made a being not identical to Adam, but one that would perfectly suit and complement one another. And truly the male and female confusion that goes on today is such a, a travesty because what it is partially ruining is God's perfect complementary design between a man and a woman that he created and designed. And that picture being Enjoyed in the proper fashion, I believe, brings honor and glory to God. And so, God had created and facilitated a situation for Adam that would have only brought greater communion. As we read further in chapter 3... I don't know that this was the case. It certainly seems to be the case. And I couldn't think of another place in Scripture where it indicates it. But where 
God is walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the manner by which it says that, and the preparation that Adam and Eve made in hiding, seems to imply that it was a common place for God to be in the garden with Adam and Eve. And so not only do they have a perfect environment, not only do they have a a natural physical companion, which in some sense completes that fellowship and that need of mankind and the longing, not only do they have a duty and a responsibility that God has given them to upkeep the garden, but even furthermore, and perhaps utmost, God has also regularly fellowshipping with them in the garden. And so when we begin reading chapter 3, I want you to recognize that up to this point, everything that God has done should only have brought man closer to God. Not cause Adam and Eve to hide from him. You see, one of the things that Satan is masterful about is he's masterful at painting God as this unpredictable, erratic, emotional being who when he sees our actions and when he sees the things that we do, just flies off the handle at us. Just angry with us and many people perhaps attributing the sins of other people in authority to the, to the same character that God has. They're constantly fearful and they're constantly afraid at how God is going to treat them and act towards them. And so they hide from God. But I want us to see here that God has done nothing there or now that would warrant you because of his character hiding. Rather... Everything that is a cause for them to hide originated with them. So what's the first thing that happens? Well, Satan comes in, and we can't discount the reality of demonic forces that are striving. Now, I think so often we have this misunderstanding, and, and we either give Satan way too much credit... For everything that people tend to give him too much credit, that everything that goes bad in my life is a result of what Satan is doing, or other people who think Satan really isn't even real, he never bothers me. And either of those are ditches that are dangerous. Because if we think that everything that goes wrong in my life is a product of what he is doing, then we will not repent of our own personal sin, recognizing that it is often us that causes the problems in our lives. And if we think that he is preoccupied with more important people, then when demonic forces actually do try to come in and whisper thoughts and guide certain things and provide temptation before us, then we'll be naive and blind to the wise tactics that he often applies to get us off the path that God wants us on. But here we find that Satan is very real. And his demonic forces throughout the Bible are very real. And evidence of that, that he attacks often, if you'll notice with Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, he attacked when Jesus was weak. He had fasted for 40 days. He had been led of the Holy Spirit out to the wilderness. He fasted for 40 days. And even the purpose why he was led out there, it says in Matthew chapter 4, was that he might be tempted of the devil. Very often, when you're fractured in some area 
That's when Satan comes to lure you away. Here, he comes and he begins speaking half-truths. And we're not going to get into the specifics of those this morning, but he speaks half-truths, believable enough for us to listen. For us to argue, as Eve does. For us to be halted in our thought life. And what he's saying, giving credence to it. But I want you to know, anything whose origin is Satan, he is generally two or three steps ahead of what we're thinking in order to deceive us. He's conniving. And he wants nothing more than to ruin your life. And he drops these half-truths into her. So the first mistake that's made by Adam and Eve is that they believe him. He tells them this half-truth about God, that God is in some way holding out on Adam and Eve, that there is an area of blessing that God desires, or rather is able to bestow upon them, the knowledge of good and evil that God is presently withholding. And so he makes this this truth look, or this this half-truth look firmly or altogether true and appealing. And so he whispers these things to Adam and Eve and he distorts what God's intentions are. He distorts what God's rule is. He makes God seem like someone that is hiding or holding out on them. And they believe him. Why is it really essential that we know the word of God? That we, 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 why you don't just depend on the preacher or the parent or the Sunday school teacher. It's because when Satan comes to tempt you. And listen, Bible study is not just memorizing a set of facts and regurgitating a set of stories. That's not what true biblical understanding. It's when the word of God is inscribed on your heart and becomes a governing factor in your actions and thoughts. I would rather take, and it was the case many years ago, that there were often very simple people who worked blue-collar jobs, working out on the farms day and night, and they couldn't read very well, but what they could read and what they could understand, God had inscribed those things on the heart. And then later comes these men and women and our emphasis in society to be educated, and I'm not against that, but to study the Greek and to study the Hebrew and to reinterpret things and to be able to, 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 to regurgitate all of these complex theological thoughts. But listen, all of those things, if not inscribed on the heart, has very little value above the philosophies of the world because what God wants is for these things to be within us. And you can spot Satan's attacks when your mind begins to accuse God falsely or depict him in a certain way. You can spot that when God has so deeply engraven on your heart truth that you cannot deny it is true because now it is a part of the fabric of who you are. There are some truths that feel so deeply written in me that they're a part of me. It's like they're just a body part because they're so real and true. Adam and Eve have been told the truth by God. It doesn't appear like it's like that to them. And so they believe Satan's perversion. And that's the first fatal error that they make. Our culture today, at large, has at first they bought these quarter truths, these half truths that Satan sold. 
And so for one generation, it was as though they were on this, well, I believe most of the Bible, but there are some falsehoods. Only now to develop into the next generation where the Bible has been wholly thrown out. And these stories are all mythical stories meant to teach good metaphorical principles or moral lessons. But they're not actually true. Here the first mistake that they make is they believe Satan's lie. And then in believing his lie, they just sin. There's no other way to put it. They just, God said, and now, now consider for a moment God's benevolence in the garden. God says, eat anything in the garden that you want. Touch anything in the garden that you want. Much of the way that God treats to us. God gives us an immense freedom in this life to enjoy this life. And listen, God does not want a Christian to be walking down always uh, sad and, 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 and lonely and, 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 and feeling like the, the life and the Christian life is just this miserable place to be. God did not place us here to be like that. No, God wants us to have a joyful, vibrant life in him. And in one another and in the love and fellowship that comes on earth in this capacity. God had given him everything. And yet the one thing that Satan hones in on is the one thing that he can't have. Does that sound familiar? Like, isn't it amazing in my life at least how everything can be going good except for one little thing? And somehow, whether, rather than being filled with immense gratitude for all that God has done, and often what shakes me back to spiritual consciousness is when I see somebody whose life is just a wreck, and all the things in their life are going awful. And then suddenly it makes me have to silence and mute my own lips and ask God for forgiveness that God, I have a splinter in my small toe in comparison to the paralysis that this person lives with every single day. God, thank you. Adam, Eve, eat of everything. Don't do that. And of course, we know the story. They just deliberately sin against God. Then, What do they do? Well, shame hits. Guilt hits. Their eyes are opened to their guilt and to their shame. Now I want you to notice, God has done everything right up to this point to encourage relationship with them. They have done everything wrong in this situation. And God is somehow the bad guy. He's the one that we have to hide from. He's the one that is holding out on us. He's the one, and it really digs down to the amazing part of the human heart that is somehow, no matter how gross of perpetrators we can be, somehow we can design a story with Satan's aid that we are victims in a situation when we are all together the perpetrators of absolute sin with no excuse. It is on us. And yet Adam and Eve are determined 
to not take the responsibility for their actions. And so what do they do? Well, they sew fig leaves together. And then when they hear God coming in the garden in the cool of the day, they hide. And that's the part I want to focus on for just a moment this morning. They hide. So why are they hiding? Well, we've already established it's not because of God in the sense that he's done something wrong. God had done everything right. So why are they hiding from God? I think for a number of reasons. Number one, it tells us in the text that they were afraid of him. Why were they afraid? Because they had broken God's law. And they knew that they were deserving of God's punishment. And it was going to be just. And so they're hiding perhaps in part to avoid the punishment or the discipline that comes with God. That's, that's, the, that's the state my children are at right now. They want to do the wrong. They want to give the apology. And they want to avoid the punishment. Right? And I say that partially in jest, but partially in the form of truth. Because isn't that how we often all are? You get pulled over for speeding. You're just crossing your fingers, giving all the reasons why you don't deserve a ticket. Here, they're hiding because they're afraid of God. They're ashamed. Why? Because they're exposed. They're naked before him. So let me ask you this particular question. Don't think of it as just Adam and Eve hiding, but let's look at it as what in your life, what sin in your life is causing you to hide certain things from God? You know, God highly esteems Humble, broken, contrite people who come to him not hiding, but running to him, offering their brokenness with no, with no hesitation before him. So let's take things in our life like our marriages. Let's say that your marriage is fractured. And what the common trend today is, and perhaps always has been, is to just hide those areas of your life where there is brokenness, where there is pain, where there are areas where you have violated God's word. And we hide those things. And so if your marriage is broken, let me tell you what you're going to want to do and what Satan is going to want to do is to hide those things from God and those people who can help you through his word. Very often people hide them for so long it gets to a place where it's irreconcilable. You know, I've had before where people come to me and ask for marital help. And I think to myself when I'm listening, why didn't you come to me five years ago, seven years ago, ten years ago? Why didn't you go to somebody who then, when the problems and the fractures were just beginning could build a strong foundation. And often what it is is that they're afraid of the hit it will take to their pride, of the shame. But listen, there is brokenness in this world and every person in this room has areas of their life and things that have happened in the past of their life where things are just not minorly fractured but greatly broken and in need of divine healing. What about child rearing? That's like a taboo today. I'm not sure what it is that has caused caused such a personalization of people's feedback into the important areas of our life. 
You know, like if somebody comes to me and says, listen, I see that your son is behaving this way and here's a recommendation. The nature today is to get grossly offended. How dare they? But isn't that a blessing? Like, isn't it a blessing that someone would care enough about my child to make sure that they're path is being corrected to offer maybe a pearl of wisdom that they've experienced in their life you see truth is not owned by anybody but God just because I discover it and show it to you does not mean I'm the owner of it or have any copy right over it God is the author of it and when you discover something that is to Your well-being and that of others, is it not most advantageous to spread it with everybody that could use it? What about, what other things do we hide from the Lord? Depression? Again, perhaps in men more than in women, I don't know. If I can't portray the superman that you think that I am, that you're going to think poorly of me. Or women struggling with anxiety. Listen, I've spent more time listening to young ladies talk about anxiety and, and, and middle-aged men talk about the hardships of life and what, it's, what it is tempting them to do or has compelled them to do. I've spent so much time listening to those talk about those things. It's so prominent. And yet, people often... Hide it. They hide it from one another and they hide it from God. And they try to go it alone. Is it because of shame? Or they do what Adam and Eve do. They blame. This is what, to me, that is just quite, just another marvelous thing about this text that reveals Eve, excuse me, Adam, God confronts Adam, the one who was directly given the law, the one who was made responsible for upkeeping it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Don't eat of the tree. Eve was not even created yet. God confronts Adam. What did you do? And notice the language. The woman that you gave me caused me to do this. You know, God's providence today is often the blame for many things that ail people. Well, God could have prevented this thing from happening, and he didn't. So, in turn, it's God's fault. Because he didn't stop this from happening. And so often people have in their hearts this resentment that is building deep within. They never speak of it because they're embarrassed to. They never speak of it because they know down deep it's not right and yet still it continues to grow this resentment and bitterness towards God that these things which God could have prevented he did not so he's the cause of all of my pain and suffering and I'm going to separate from him because it's his fault ultimately. Listen, that proclivity in us traces all the way back to Adam and Eve. They blamed God. Adam blamed God. He could have made me different. He could have made my children different. He could have made my parents, which have caused me to be this way different. He could have placed me in a situation like that person who has such a better life than what I do. And since God didn't, it's God's fault. 
Oh, what narrow-minded, prideful thinking that that is. To assume, I think of God's response to Job. Where were you when I made all of these things? Like, really, what do we know in the big scheme of this life, even about the small things that God has put us over? So little do we know about life and our own hearts. Eve blames the serpent. God justly punishes all three for what was done. This morning, I'll ask one more question, then I'll be done. Where do you hide? So we've talked about the fact that we do hide, what we might hide. Where do you hide? At home? Where you just back away from people who can help you? At work? You busy yourself. That seems to be a common one today is busyness. Is that there is this deep pain within There is this separation between a person and God. And I don't want to face God. And so I'm going to hide. And listen, one of the unfortunate things about our culture is all these inventions and things to do. That's not a good thing. It pleases the flesh. But it also creates convenient, cheap places to hide from God. And so ask yourself, is part of the motivation for busyness is the fear to face God. The fear to place those things which need his healing and intervention before him. I've been amazed at myself and I've been amazed at the how other people go from almost the moment they wake up until the moment they go to bed with no silence. Almost no silence exists anymore. There's always a radio. There's always Pandora. There's always a screen. There's always someone to talk to on the phone. There's always somebody to text message. There's always some, something to do. And very often that investment in those things is simply a way to hide from God. This, I could go on and on talking about things. Some people do it in... Righteous deeds. That's a really sneaky one, you know? Like some preachers hide in preaching. Do you know that? They hide from God by preaching. Because it has all of the coverings of godliness. Has all the coverings of, yes, I'm not running from God. Obviously, look how I'm clothed in righteous deeds and actions. And yet the Bible reveals to us that our actions and our words can be cause us to be far from God. That just because we do things, God was not pleased with the outward sacrifices. He was, he was pleased with the position and condition of the heart. Here, Ab and Eve, they were hiding. So I ask you this question. Where do you hide? What are you hiding? And when are you going to come and make peace 
with God. This morning, I'll say this. Even small things, when we hide them from God, can create enormous wedges between us and Him. I guess the way that my personality is, it eats me alive to have something in between me and another person. Like when I know there's an unspoken there, that the, that's a wedge. Sometimes I, in a very blunt, uncouth way, I just, we got to deal with this. I, I, we can't handle this. And yet, my tendency to be like that as man is often not translated to my tendency to be like that with God. This morning, if I could, I don't know, I just have this compulsion to encourage someone here. Don't hide yourself or things from the Lord. He comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And he asks that question, where are you? God knows. God knew what Adam and Eve did. God knew where Adam and Eve were hiding. But I believe he asked that question to prompt the revelation in their own heart, why am I hiding from God? Don't hide from the Lord. Listen to me. Everything... When we are close to him, even, here's what I'll say. I would prefer to be in God's presence under his chastening hand than I would be apart from him avoiding his chastening hand. That's how advantageous it is for you and I to be in God's presence. Better to be under his discipline than an avoidance of his person. This morning, I hope and I pray, whether you're lost tonight or today, this morning, or whether you're saved, don't avoid the Lord. Don't hide from Him. Run to the Lord. Bring those things before Him that cause you guilt and shame. Bring those sins before Him because reconciliation, restoration, and fellowship can only occur when you come with the repentant. And the heart of repentance is revelation. Do you realize that? An aspect of repentance is, God, here it is. Here it is. Here's what I've done. And I want you more than I want the avoidance of the shame that might come in revealing it. I'll say this in closing. Often, God uses human instruments to help us. God's convinced me before I could go it alone. You know, that I didn't need accountability. I didn't need guidance. I didn't need mentorship. I didn't need help to conquer this giant. And really what that is, is it's a ruse. It's an it's a attempt by me to retain my pride and make things right with God. I don't have to reveal my sin to anybody else, and I can just go along my merry way and everything will be fine. 
I've learned that it's very rarely the case. Most of the time, I need my spouse and I need other godly people to help me. Just as Nathan needed to confront David for David to see his sin. This, this morning, I pray, whatever you might be hiding from the Lord, He would let it go. I think that's why it's so essential that when people come to us, they see us as non-judgmental people. You know that? I'm not better than you. I want you to know that. And you're not better than anybody else here. I pray God would help you today. I just feel particularly inclined that direction, and I hope if God is speaking to you, you would acknowledge that before him this morning.